Welcome to the Building Leaders Radio Hour, conversation-based podcast featuring interviews with everyday business leaders. We're here to entertain and empower those within and beyond the construction industry, and we're here to share the stories of those who built their own paths and paved the way for the future. We are your hosts, Neil Wilkov and Mark Cleverly. Hey, Mark. Hey, Neil. How are you? I am just wonderful. I'm enjoying this beautiful Georgia fall weather. Um, mm. It's nice, no bugs, no humidity, sunshine. How are you? Great, great. It's going to get cold tomorrow, though. Oh, freeze warning, apparently. Yes. It's gone from 80 degrees to... Like 40. Yeah. So just enjoy your, your fall weather. Yeah, if you, do, if you don't like the weather in Georgia, just wait a day, right? Is that not how it works? Correct. Awesome. Correct. Well, before we get too far, we want to give a huge shout out to our season two sponsor. Still got a sponsor? I can't believe they're still sponsoring us after all this. Well, this hasn't been released yet, so, you know. No, well, not this one, but I mean, still, <laughs> the other ones still exactly. can't believe they're sponsoring us. <laughs> Fly and Form Concrete Structures. Fly and Form Concrete Structures is headquartered here in Atlanta, but can be found throughout the Southeast and specializes in concrete structures. They've been amazing supporters of ABC of Georgia and ABC of National, for that matter. And we're happy to have them as the presenting sponsor for season two of Building Leaders Radio Hour. And you may not know this, but... I do my research on our guests, and this is a perfect segue to our next guest who owns, I don't know if you still own, but we'll talk about this, Tendon Systems LLC, which is a sub subcontractor and consultant for the concrete industry. Brad Raffensberger, the Secretary of State. Welcome. Welcome. Good morning. How's it going? Going great. Did yeah. you know that? I, I also did some research. I felt like this was definitely one where I should read up prior to and maybe be prepared. I mean, this is quite a big deal. I this think. is a big deal. This is a big I'm deal. I'm a little nervous. I mean, I mean you well, was intimidated with Brett Fortune. I was intimidated <laughs> by Brett Fortune. <laughs> well, you should be. What Brett For Fortune's done over the years, Yes, he's a phenomenal builder. He is, but I was intimidated by him. And, I, and to the point, honestly, I couldn't ask him personally to come be interviewed. I, could, I had to have someone else do it. I had a proxy because I was so intimidated by the guy. And he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's very nice. So anyway, uh, thank you for being here today. We are so excited to be here, have you here. Um, but tell us a little bit about, because people may not know this about you, but you are in the construction industry, may not be actively involved in, in, in running things at this point because you're busy in your other job. But why don't you tell our, our audience a little bit about Tenant Systems LLC? Well, I've been in the construction business basically all my life because my dad was, I guess, somehow I got into this business and then I formed a post-tensioning company. And we had Tendon Systems LLC and it's still ongoing. It's now part of CMC's, uh, you know, total uh, you know, empire. Uh, and we sold our interest back in March of this past year. But uh, we had built that up to become one of the largest, if not the largest, post-tensioning companies in the Southeast. And we've worked, obviously, with concrete contractors and then uh, general contractors, uh, did a lot of multifamily, just did a lot of concrete, post-tension concrete uh, structures. And and you say your, your dad was in the construction industry? Yeah, he started coming out of Penn State as an engineer, you know, came out of uh, Pennsylvania. And when you're from western Pennsylvania, it's like rural areas of, in America, you go to the big city end up working on power plants, ended up in Canada, and then I retired up there. And I got my degree in engineering and got here in Georgia as soon as I could in 1982. Where did you graduate from? Western University and met Trisha in high school. And uh, probably the smartest thing I ever did was marrying Trisha. But uh, married her halfway through engineering school and uh, lived in Virginia before we moved here. 
Okay. And then, I mean, did you get into construction because of your dad? Well, uh, I know I started going to engineering school and my grandfather was actually an electrician. He said, become an electrical engineer. And after I took a course in electric circuits, it just didn't do a lot for me. And so I said, I'm gonna, that was great. You know, you have that, the survey courses first, and, uh, first year and second year. And then I just really focused in on civil structural. And I started working with a company called VSL out of uh, Northern Virginia, doing post-tension concrete buildings and became their chief engineer for the Eastern Division. And then moved into marketing sales. And then I ran an office for them down here in Atlanta. And then eventually, you know, you know, left them and started a company with a partner. And I bought my partner out in 2000. And then just, we continued on. When, when did you, when did you start the company? Uh, the first forerunner company with my partner was actually uh, fall of 1987. Okay. And how, how big of a decision this is I, this really interests me we talked to a lot of um, of our guests around this is you, you're in a kind of a stable job you're running an office and then you kind of go that that decision to make the leap to go you know start out on your own um, what did that look like for you well it probably started uh, almost about three years earlier because we were where we were at that time we had two young boys and I talked to Trisha about well why not we buy a daycare center and so we bought a daycare center, and when we bought it, it was licensed for about 137 kids. We did a little addition, got it up to 174, and she filled it up and uh, had waiting lists and everything like that. And so we started having some financial margin, you know, in our life, you know, so we had additional capacity. So when I realized that I didn't want to ever leave Atlanta, this was our home, and this is what we were, you know, this is where I was building our financial future, uh, I then looked at what I could do further, and so I found a partner, and we partnered up, and we supplied, installed, and designed post-tension structures, and we worked throughout the southeast. And that's kind of, I guess, having that first thing, the daycare, which once we were in the business, the post-tension business, for about six to nine months, we sold the daycare. So Trisha could really focus in on that because I was pretty busy when we started this thing. I was the estimator. I was the engineer. (laughs) I was everything for a while. And then uh, we just continued to grow the business. But how does that work? I mean, one thing that amazes me about the construction industry is how entrepreneurial you guys all are. Um, I, I don't, candidly, don't have um, the courage to go out and start my own business. That's why we're lawyers. We're risk adverse. But how did you manage to take that leap? Like I think is what Mark was asking from working for a company versus we're going to go start our own. I mean, did you always have that entrepreneurial spirit? Did you always think you were going to start be your own boss at some point? I, I always wanted to run my own shop, and I, that was just the logical step. I guess I was an entrepreneur at heart. And so over the years, we looked at other opportunities as you're growing your business. What can you diversify into? And so we actually, for several years, were doing you know, post-tension bridges and stay cable structures. We did that for about four years. But then we just got back to our niche, which was commercial construction. And and do you feel that at the time that you made the decision to go into business for yourself, where, I mean, you obviously took that leap mentally. You were ready to do it. Were you scared at all, or were you just, you're jumping right in? I had a lot of faith in myself, and I also... Uh, Really, we had our financial house in order, too. Uh, we had sold our first house in Duluth, and we downsized into a fixer-upper, and we, and we had some money off that house. And so we had some money in the bank, and so then we looked for a business. And so we had to get together a loan package to go buy that daycare center, and we kind of leveraged, put a second on the house, but 
Uh, when we closed, we had probably left over about ten thousand dollars. I knew we had another week and a half before we had to make payroll, and so <laughs> and the parents would be paying. So I had it all figured out. I'm pretty good with numbers. I'm an engineer. Makes me a pretty good uh, chief election official for the state of Georgia. I know kind of know the numbers, and and so I calculated with a dollar sign instead of with decimal places like engineers do. But uh, I figured it would work, and I had a great faith in my wife. And, and a great faith in her ability and really our ability together that we could accomplish anything, you know, working together. But Brad, a lot of people I know would never take a second out on a mortgage to start a business. How do you have that mindset to say, I'm going to take that leap. I'm going to do this because I believe in myself. I believe in my wife. Because even if I believed in my wife, which I do, love her, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd take a second mortgage out. I, I guess I, I believed in America. I believed in Georgia. I believed in the construction industry. You know, we have to look at where we are in Georgia. We are we are blessed beyond belief. Our population is growing, and that means that long term, our construction industry will continue to grow. And then we'll continue to add projects here that companies coming to Georgia. You know, there's that all different types of construction. Is it automotive? Is it EVs? Is it, you know, Q-cells? All these different opportunities that we're having for jobs. But there's also construction and real estate opportunities. And we're just adding people. And then you look at our universities just cranking out, you know, really highly educated, uh, motivated, you know, people that want to build solid futures. So it could be a great career. And it also could be a, at some point, you know, looking at becoming their own business owner. Agreed. And I'm absolutely amazed at how quickly and how much Georgia has grown. I've only been down here for 25 years now. Only 25 years. Well, I feel old, but 25 years. And it is absolutely amazing how quickly the city has and the area has grown. Yeah, and as a relative newcomer, um, I moved here in 2012. Um, but even in that kind of short period of time you, you have seen that kind of explosive growth coming out of the the 2008 recession i mean you i love living here it's a great place to be now look at the weather the weather's so, great you know, <laughs> it's just that's the, it's just how i if i wasn't doing this i think i'd be could be the tourism director for georgia it's we just have a great state there's other nice states but i just think our, we're the best you know, it's funny. I was talking to some friends about Georgia and the South, and I have all these friends because I'm from the Northeast. Um, if you remember, I bugged you one time on a plane on the way up to, to upstate New York, but um, I did. I totally did. And my father was like, oh, my God, <laughs> Secretary of State. It was the coolest thing. My father's like, you know him? I said, oh, I met him. I don't really know him. But my father thinks I'm like, we're, he thinks we're like really close. So, <laughs> Dad, if you're listening, we are. Um, but uh, – I have a lot of friends that are just decided they've had it with New York state and then to get into politics, but it's interesting, high taxes, no jobs, mm -hmm. no real, the weather sucks eight months a year and their, their kids, it's not them that are necessarily moving, but their kids are coming to school down here and working down here in the South. And then they're like, I'm like, come on down. You're not going to regret it. You're going to love it. And more and more of my friends are starting to move down here um, as we're getting older, I say older cause we're getting older, but, um, but how did you then make the shift? Uh, cause I'm also intrigued by the fact you're running this company. Mm -hmm. It is a highly successful company. I can't remember who I was talking about with you the other day. Um, oh, it was, well, it was, a, it was, um, it was, an, uh, one of the, uh, concrete companies, a guy out in Texas. I was, I was hanging out with him. I told him I was interviewing you. He goes, how the heck is he doing? I said, what do you mean? How's he doing? 
you don't see him in the news. He goes, I haven't, he goes, I haven't seen him in the field in forever. Um, but how did you then make the leap, right? You're running this company, very successful company. Then you made the leap to politics. And that's another, as far as I'm concerned, very courageous move because uh-huh. a lot of people don't do that because of everything that goes on with social media and so forth. But how did you then make that move? And and just to tag onto that, what was what was your motivation behind doing that? So they're kind of two different questions. I'd well, say. really, uh, around two thousand, you know, during the George uh, W. Bush administration, really, I was watching what was going on in Washington D.C. and I was it's frustrating me. I think it was frustrating a lot of people. And it's like, well, what can you do? You're running your own business, so you don't, you know, you can't leave your business and go up to D.C. and you know, try and make things better. So I just started looking, and what could I do? And we had this new city. It's called Johns Creek. And it's like we had all these new North Fulton, you know, cities. So what could I do? So I ran for city council, and it was a great opportunity. You can do that part-time, maybe a couple times a month, and you're really giving back to your community. So as a new city, well, I think we need to put some, you know, two, two lanes each way and add some, you know, stoplights. And then what about parks? What about, you know, public safety with police, fire protection, things like that? So it was really just about making our community better, you know, one little, you know, a little bit each day. And that's what we worked on. And so I did that. And, and I can handle that as I was running the business. And then fortunately, somewhere along that time around, you know, 2011 or so, probably uh, 2010, uh, my middle son, Kyle, you know, joined our company. And that's really when I, he started taking over one of the divisions, our multifamily division, and, you know, continue working that. And uh, then I went for, ran for a state house. And he took over a bit more responsibility. And after being there for two terms, I told Kyle I wanted to run for uh, Secretary of State. Got elected, and uh, I said, okay, Kyle, uh, I'm going to make you the president. And he said, well, Dad, I'll be the, become the president. But just remember, once you do that, you don't get to come back here and take the reins <laughs> off of me. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I will give a shout-out to my son. I think he did a great job. But also, really, the next generation. I think sometimes we, we get down on what we see. But I just get really absolutely excited when I see the leadership coming out of the next generation. Uh, very team-oriented, and they really buy into that whole concept. And so we really took that whole remarkable philosophy that Chick-fil-A has, and we we worked through that program. I was there for the first meeting, and I came at the end of the year when Kyle had taken the team through it, and they just gelled really, really deep as a team. And if you look at our company that we built— uh, so many of our managers and our people had been with the company for a long period of time. And if you look at any of these general contractors, concrete contractors, been around for a long period of time, they have teams of people that have dedicated their life to that company, and they stay there for long periods of time. And it really gives you that stability, and everyone's trying to just continue to improve their business, their company. And so I think it's you know something that's really uh, wonderful to see, and I just love to see the next generation have that spirit that our generation have, but even more so about how important the team is. It's what I'm hearing you say. It's about the culture of the company. Absolutely. And how did you set that culture up in order to make that the company be successful? And that echoes back to, I'm going to raise it as well. I think you've also done that at the secretary of state's office as well. You have set a culture for success, but where did you learn to do that? Where did that come from? Well, it's, it's more than just hard work because I learned that work ethic from my dad and that comes out of, I think, that World War II, uh, Great Depression generation, really, really hard workers. But my dad was also a, a real 
team leader in his company. He was great being the number two. He's really comfortable with that. And he really, the, the, the team, the company really rallied around that. But I think at probably my business setback uh, was one of the areas that I said, okay, I, I see that. And so I think as a business leader, you have to take full responsibility for it. Now, I could say, well, the federal government shouldn't have gone ahead and hit us with a dumping ruling. It wasn't us, but as our major strand suppliers, foreign strand suppliers, they just kind of you know made all of our foreign strand supplies dry up and our cost of our strand went up 40% overnight and really you know was tumultuous in our industry specific to us. But then if you really have that pain, you say, I never want to do that again. So you start, you know, reading books like Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's all about getting the right people on the bus and the right seats, and then really figuring out what can I be the very best at? And what we decided is we could be the very best at, you know, our specialized field forces, our specialized engineering in post-tension concrete structures and carbon fiber strengthening. So that's what we really focused in on. But it's also then about building a team of people, because no matter how smart you are, it's more than just one person. In fact, really, if you look at like Apple, Steve Jobs is obviously an incredibly gifted person, but they had that rough spot. And when he came back after doing developing Pixar, what happened to Apple? They just went to the whole different high-level trillion-dollar value valuation. Now I think they're up to two, three trillion dollars. It's just amazing the culture that he built in that company. So he learned something. He learned something along that path. And at a much lower level, I learned something also. Obviously, we're not Apple, but, uh, you know, we were successful in our own right. You know, it's amazing. Um, I feel like we should get money for Good, good to Great because you're not the first person on this interview that has mentioned that book. Amazing book. Um, but do you find that you have learned uh, from those leadership books to yeah. how to become a better leader? Yeah, that. And I also joined a peer group. So uh, fellow business owners. And so if you have some great ideas, then you can bounce it off the team and they can kind of just you know, ask questions and you can really then strengthen your vision, strengthen, strengthen what you're thinking about. But it's also whatever you do in business, it's best to really make sure that everyone is aligned with that. And so I think that's best that you're really having discussions with your group. And, and as for Kyle, how did you know he was ready? Uh, just continue to give him more responsibility. And when we were having some quality control issues, he said, well, that you give me, let me run this whole division. I'll take care of all the project management, all the drafting. I'll, I'll, I'll handle all of that. And then, you know, and hold me accountable. And so he did a great job on that. But what he also had learned is that he was going to hold his people accountable. And he did that. Uh, really collegially, but he was very good at holding people accountability. So you you set expectations, and then you you sit down and have meetings with folks. And I think that's really a great skill set to have. And obviously, when you ran, so you go from from Johns Creek to the the state house, obviously to uh, Secretary of State. I'm I'm assuming your family was supportive of these decisions, otherwise you wouldn't have done it. Right. Um, but how did you, again, uh, again, one thing that fascinates me about you is you've taken, to me, they're leaps, right? You don't know if you're going to win. You don't know if you're even going to be the nominee for the party. But how do you decide to take that leap? Because you go from city to state, uh, you know, to representative of, a, of an area to a statewide election. Um, how did, mindset-wise, what was going through your head? Well, you got to understand, I have an unfair advantage is that whenever I decide to do these things, if I've got Trisha on my side, that's my super secret weapon. So 
Yeah, I just feel like I can't lose as long as I have Tricia. And so it's we're just an incredible team. We met in high school. And so uh, that's my super secret weapon. And so I just feel tremendous confidence about it. But we got to go back to this running for Secretary of State. That was really going to be simple. What we're going to do is run for Secretary of State. We're going to get a new voting system. And, you know, the you know Secretary of State Brian Kemp had formed a safe commission. What does that look like? And then I finished that up after I was elected. And so we're going to have a paper ballot system. And then we're going to make sure that we can do statewide audits. And then now we have photo ID for all forms of voting. So it was really about making the process better. And we did a great job. And then we had COVID and then we had uh, <laughs> the election results of 2020. But it just kind of rolled on. Understood. And, and so for the uh, uninformed Englishman in the room, um, I know that the Secretary of State is responsible for the election process um, as a whole. But w- what else does your office take care of? Well, we have corporation registration. And so what we did is, as when I was in the state house, I passed, a, introduced a bill that you could renew your corporation for up to three years, one, two, or three years. And then lo and behold, I became secretary of state that next year. So then I implemented it. And so we now have found that about 25% of all business owners are renewing their corporations for two or three years. So obviously there was interest in that. So it's your choice though, one, two, or three years. So we've done that. We now have 1.4 million corporations and we'll be in the process of updating that whole software so we can handle that additional uh, bandwidth that we have. 1.4 million corporations are renewing every year. It's a tremendous burden, you know, draw on a system that is actually only about eight or nine years old now. But just keeping up with that with technology, we need to update that. Then we have professional licensing. We have 140 different boards, 40 different licenses. And I'm a conservative. I think we have too many. You probably do too. Most contractors do. But as long as you're required to have a license, we want to make sure that you can get that license quickly. So we're looking at how do we approve that. So right now we've already informed and implemented the first section of license reform. of It's actually the software program based on the Salesforce backbone. And so we have about a third of the license holders, and that process is working. Then we'll have phase two and then phase three. And by probably March, everyone will be implemented up on the new software and we have a licensing reform commission that's ongoing right now. So what do we need to license? What kind of you know obstacles do we need to remove? So that when we get back to the General Assembly next January, we'll have a full, you know, talking points and you know worksheet that they can work off of what that looks like. We finally think that there's some appetite in the General Assembly because State Senator Larry Walker, he wants to have some licensing reform also. So uh, if anyone listening to this is a, uh, you know, um, I don't think too many nurses are listening to this show, but uh, licensed general hey, contractors. Hey, well, what do you mean? We, ne- we ne- you never know. Yeah. <laughs> well, lic- nurses are our, our largest uh, uh, contingent of licensed uh, professionals we have in the state of Georgia. But we'll make sure our contractors are taken care of. You know, engineers, structural engineers, landscape architects, all those different professions, and then securities and charities. And we're actually doing an awful lot right now in the securities department for financial literacy. We, do, we have a program for high school. It's plug and play. It's free. Then we're making that available. We did that last week in uh, five programs, three different high schools, and we're going to have three high, different high schools this week. So we're staying active with that. And uh, we also have a program, She Leads, for financial entrepreneurs, female business owners. We do that. And then uh, charities, we want to make sure we only have good actors. Um, and I am, just so you know, chairman of the Georgia Boxing Commission. So 
you know, can't promise you that we'll get your ringside seats. I wouldn't do that. Uh, but uh, it's just one of those things when the General Assembly doesn't know where to put things, we get it. <laughs> I had no idea. That's incredible. <laughs> I, had, I thought I knew everything, but I did uh, not know that. No, we're the catch-all. Uh, so. You are the catch-all. You actually handle a lot of stuff at yeah. your office. Um, obviously, I do a lot of the general contracting licensing stuff. But uh, uh, And I will say this. I'm going to throw out a, a shout-out to nurses. Nurses are amazing, and they're underpaid. 100%. Yep. Just throw that out there. And it is the most respected profession in America. It's, it's interesting when they do studies. And then right up there, uh, engineers. Uh, right up there, top three. Where are lawyers? Well, uh, where well, are lawyers? Uh, uh, we can, we can edit there. this part out. Um, <laughs> aren't, they, aren't they in the top two or three, I think, right? Well, what I think is interesting is that uh, live recording of a lawyer admitting that he doesn't know everything. So that's uh, that's special. I had no idea the Secretary of State. Did you know the Secretary of State's office is in charge of boxing? I, well, I didn't know any of that. So that's why I asked the question. You know, oh. That's kind of part of my learning journey. Um, I, I, as regards to politics, how do you navigate the balance between serving public interest and then, you know, there's obvious kind of political implications and differences of opinion, um, kind of just within ev- everyday life. Well, I'd say from our office is so much of what we do really is uh, when it's done right, you know, it's not political. In other words, as it relates to elections, our job is to make sure we have fair and honest elections for everyone. Now, as a conservative Republican, I'd love to have our team win all of them, but we know that sometimes that won't happen just based on where the districts are. But our job is to make sure we have fair and honest elections. As it comes down to licensing or securities and charities, where our job is to provide great customer service. So how do we you know, provide that great Chick-fil-A experience? And so as it goes back to elections, that's why I was really excited that we put into law that lines have to be shorter than one hour on election day, and they are. So we, we monitor that precinct by precinct. And now right at 7 a.m., there may be a few precincts that don't start right at 7. Someone forgets the power cord or the key to get into the room, things like that. But by and large, by 8 o'clock, everything is working very smoothly. And you have 159 counties that are making sure that they you know, follow state law and keep those lines short. That's real important. Now, as a Republican, I want to make sure that we have photo ID for all forms of voting. But I think that it's actually a bipartisan issue. We have some liberal activists that don't believe in photo ID, but yet you look at it, 70% of all Democrats believe that we should have photo ID. So now we have photo ID for absentee voting, early voting, and election day voting. And by doing that, I think we've elevated security and confidence in the process. So I've just tried to put objective standards in here. Really, I think that's one thing about the construction industry and engineers. We have, you know, objective criteria, you know, with construction, it's a budget and a schedule. Engineers, it's really, will it stand up? No matter what what kind of windstorm you have or what kind of earthquake you have. That's, that's quite it's, important. It's, that's it's, quite important. It's, it's, public, <laughs> it's really public safety. So really making sure that it's going to work. But also, we have still have to understand we have, a, have to have a budget. So you don't over-design things, but you did make sure it meets you know, design criteria. Can I ask a silly question? If not, my other questions are silly. I know, Mark, you're looking at me. Um you took a lot of heat for this, and I always thought it was when elections, running the elections themselves. I always thought it was the counties themselves that ran the actual elections. They the secretary monitors, right. but they actually run it. Right. The counties run the elections, but when things don't go right, I wear it all. That's why I made sure I got into state law that lines had to be shorter than one hour. 
And so we actually gave the counties, by precinct by precinct, Gabriel Sterling worked up a whole spreadsheet, and he basically gave you know, counties precinct by precinct a green light, yellow light, or red light. In other words, based on the, your precinct size and the number of machines you have, will you have the throughput per hour that you could have on election day? And so the, some people had red lights. Okay, well, that means you need to figure out more equipment or bust the precinct in half. And so we had them all lined up to be green. Now, there's a few things that can happen, but that's why you saw the average wait time is now gets as low as an average time of two minutes. Longest line I saw on the leaderboard at one point was like about 40, 45 minutes just in a few isolated incidences. But that's real important because we want counties to be successful because the voters, really, they want it to be accurate but they hate long lines. So we're trying to help the counties to, so they can facilitate and run well-run elections. But you took a lot of heat for that, and it wasn't even your fault. Well, in, talking about, I think primarily in, during COVID, I know Fulton County struggled. But we got them under consent agreement, and we always, also with SB 202, the Election Integrity Act of 2021, which is a great bill, but did cost us, you know, getting the all-star game. But be that as it may, I think we've proved our point through Great voter turnout we've had, and people have see, realized that that was a great bill. But I, going back to that, we saw that there were a lot of issues with you know Fulton County. We finally had a, an accountability standard with SB 202 that someone could hold them accountable. Just like in Florida, Florida always struggled with what was happening in two counties. Well, Governor DeSantis replaced one of the election directors, and the previous governor replaced the other one, and they don't hear about them anymore. We never had that tool in our toolkit to be able to do that. With SB202, we do. And all of a sudden, when Fulton was under, you know, uh, I guess, investigation, under review, all of a sudden you saw that they really got, you know, it got their attention. And they've made strong improvements. So the state election board said, okay, you know, it looks like they're working in the right direction. And they decided not that no further remedial action was required. Just they told them to continue that, you know, progress path that you're on. And that's really important that it does. Are you in the construction industry or planning a big project? Then look no further than our incredible sponsor, Flying Form Concrete Structures. Whether it's a towering skyscraper or a sprawling parking structure, Flying Form has the expertise to execute your vision flawlessly. They take pride in their commitment to delivering your structural concrete project on time and within budget, making them the go-to choice for general contractors, developers, and architects alike. Lion Form's attention to detail and commitment to quality shine through every project. At Fly Form, they're not just builders, they're creators of strong foundations and remarkable structures. They use their experience and expertise in turnkey concrete frames and form work and take your vision and turn it into reality. From concept to completion, Fly Form has your back. Their seamless process means you can focus on other scopes while they handle the technical heavy lifting. Don't settle for ordinary when you can have extraordinary. Choose Fly Inform Concrete Structures and join the ranks of satisfied clients who trust them to build their concrete projects. Ready to elevate your construction game? Visit their website at flyinform.com or call their team at 770-971-7873 to discuss your projects with you. Visit flyinform.com to learn more and explore their impressive portfolio. Fly Inform, building the future, one concrete frame at a time.
And, and just, um, I'm listening to you talk about um, the process, but I'm thinking about um, we have a lot of um, younger folks out there um, interested in leadership. And I've found a lot more of, especially our uh, at McCarthy, our younger team members are really interested in learning more about leadership, definitely more so than I was kind of in my you know mid to late 20s. What advice would you give to um, kind of aspiring leaders, um, especially those that are interested in public service? I would say, first of all, if you're interested in public service, uh, make sure that your financial house is in order first. But also, don't ever you know, look down your nose on local service, on a city council, school board. That's some of the most important work you ever do. Because really... When you're sitting in traffic every day, that's not based on what's happening up in Washington D.C. That's based on what's happening. A lot of times, you know, what's happening in your in your town. Should that road be widened to four lanes because it's just two things like that? So I think I would say get make sure your financial house is in order, and then look for any uh, opportunities you know for leadership training. You know, if your company has that, or if your trade association has that. Uh, but then also join you know community service organizations like Rotary or Kiwanis. Uh, you know, those kind of organizations always have service projects, but it's also that ability to meet other people that are being successful. And then look at, is there a peer group that you could be involved in? And so that you know, there's, there are groups out there. And so you can be a, a, together with people in the similar age group of you, and you look for someone that's 10 years older than you, that's where you want to be. So everyone needs a Paul Barnabas and Tim, Timothy in their life. That's great, great advice. Do you guys do any leadership training? Oh, we don't do any leadership. Yes, we do. We have some pretty solid leadership training. However, you know, the um, appetite amongst um, a lot of our young professionals is, is great for more and more information. I mean, the reason, Neil, I believe that we actually do this podcast is to kind of maybe provide a small service to that, right, is talking to inspirational leaders and people that have been there and have been successful and, uh, you know, can share their wisdom um, with our listeners. Agreed. That is the whole purpose of this. You're, you're welcome, buddy. You're well, Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Looking back 25 years, could, could you have seen yourself in the position that you're in as the secretary of state of the state of Georgia leading a, well, I guess you, you said you sold it, um, yeah. but leading an incredible company for the last couple of decades. Could you have seen that tw- happening 25 years ago? Well, 25 years ago, we were building our business, and so that was our focus. And then it really re- revolved around business and then our family. And then we were very active in our church. So that was really our three key areas. Uh, but I always cared about the direction of our country and I always wanted other people to fix it. And at some point I figured, well, I might as well just throw my hat in the ring and see what I could do to, to improve it, you know, one day at a time. So did you think 25 years ago that you might want to run for office someday? Was that in, in the no, back of I, your mind? No, as long as things were going smooth, I didn't think I needed to. I, it was just uh, during the 2000s, I just was starting to get concerned by the direction of our country. And it seemed like a lot wasn't happening in Washington. In fact, I think we're seeing that right now. And that's why I always, when I, when I talk to people, a lot of times when I talk to Rotarians, I love to read out their four-way test. Because it's, imagine if Congress started every day with, is it the truth? <laughs> will, it build, build, will it build better and beneficial relationships? You know, it's like, and, 
And so these service organizations are very effective at getting things done. Construction businesses are very effective at getting things done. they got to get that building up in 12 months or 24 months, whatever the schedule says. And so they don't have a lot of time for a lot of arguments and a lot of fuss. And like they could have those high volume discussions. I've been in many a job site trailer and had those. But at the end of the day, you got to get focused a bit on the big things, you know, and, and it's really about doing something, the mission. And I think that's one of the things a lot of people get thrown into the situations where they maybe don't have that, those leadership skills. And it's really, when you look at the effective leaderships that we've had, particularly at the presidential level, look at Eisenhower. Obviously, you know, General Eisenhower, you know, pulling together not just the American troops, but working with the British, the French, and all those disparate, you know, those different worldviews that they had, pulling them together as a team, and then having the success that we had, and then becoming as a president. You know, many uh, cases I say the 50s sounded like they were so boring, but they were highly effective because personal household income went up so fast in the 50s. That was a sweet spot, perhaps, for America. But that was quiet, effective leadership. And I think people are craving that. I think they're craving it in their businesses. They want their business to be successful. And if you go back to good to great, one of the model companies was General Electric under Jack Welch. Then all of a sudden, it hit Jack Welch leaves and they hit a rough spot. And all of a sudden, it looks like they're coming back and they found their way back again. And as an American, I'd love to see GE be successful. I'd love to see them survive for another 100 to 200 years. You want companies to be successful because it's people's lives, people that are investing their lives and their careers in these companies. So yeah, it, leadership is very important. You know, I think you're right about Congress. I just read a, a poll that came out over the weekend. Congress's approval rating. Mark, do you know what it is? Latest poll? I do not. You want to take a guess? No. Okay. 13%. 13% approval rating for Congress. That doesn't sound good. Uh, and if you do the math, it's it's not. <laughs> but what's so funny is for years it hovered around 20 to 25%, which I thought was terrible. And now it's down to 13% approval rating. That's almost Getting half. Of what? 25%. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's amazing the lack of – I'll say it. The lack of leadership in Washington is astounding to me, and it's gone on probably two decades. And, and when I go talk to groups throughout the state of Georgia, I always want to want. I always give a shout out to our General Assembly. Obviously, I was there for two terms, but in the General Assembly, we have forty days to balance the budget and get all of our business done over that three month period. And what's also interesting is I came in there on, on my first session on about day ten, day twelve. And they plopped me down at an open seat, and I had a Democrat on the left, one on the right. Whereas up in Washington, D.C., they put all one party on this side, one on the other. You want to get a coffee or a Coke, you've got to go to your own cloakroom. You go to your cloakroom. It's very, very separated. Whereas we were just sit there talking. Yes, I'm, I'm a Republican. Yes, you're a Democrat. But we'd have conversations, and it never got to that anger and vitriol that you're seeing right now in Washington because we have to have conversations. Don't give up on your values. you got to be true to who you are, but you can have respectful conversations. Is there some areas of common ground we can find on this process? And in the General Assembly, even though the Democrats are the minority party, a lot of what they you know, bring to bear is incorporated at some level into some of this. The more votes they get or the more good ideas they have, the more that will get incorporated. But by and large, we're going to get conservative policies, but we at least it's respectful conversations 
And I think when we have effective leadership like we've had for 20 years here in Georgia, it's being rewarded at the polls because people understand that Georgia is on the right track. From the standpoint of, of, the, of the leadership, at, even at the, the Gold Dome, um, you know, I always find it fascinating that I've heard stories of people in Washington, going back to your point, that people got in trouble if they were caught having lunch with someone across the aisle or having a coffee with someone across the aisle. They actually would get in trouble for it. And I've noticed, at least here in Georgia, that there is a um, – the atmosphere is more collegial. Let's work across the aisle. And have you found in, in your experience as a, as a politician um, that that has worked for you to talk to folks across the aisle versus shutting them off because, God forbid, you talk or be seen talking to a Democrat? Well, I probably learned that on city council. The mayor pro tem, she kind of looked at me. And she said, Brian, you just got to learn how to count to four. So you could have the best resolutions, best ideas that you will have. But you needed four votes out of the seven. So, um, and so I learned that, okay, I have to start talking to you and convince you, Neil. I got this great idea here. And, and then you might say, well, I can't, I can't buy into that. But if you did this, this, and this. So it was really finding that meeting of the minds. And really, in construction, we're always trying to find that meeting of the minds. Because we understand that that's where we can really, the rubber meets the road and we can get things done. And that's how it really works. And I also found fascinating going back to Eisenhower. I read a book on Eisenhower recently. It also goes back to leadership and about his relationship with the um, when he was president. You know, he, this all happened because of how he was a general of both the U.S. and you guys were involved, Mark, in the World War II. You guys did, <laughs> right? Yeah, we were. Yeah, uh, just a just, little bit. Just a little. Just a little. Um, but yeah, they, they were trying to invade us. I don't know if you noticed that. No, I'm just just trying. I just wanted to give a shout out where one deserved. Um, you know, we won it, but you guys were there oh, okay, to help. Yeah. Okay, I forgot about that. Yeah, Sorry. but it, what's amazing about the book that I was reading? It wasn't so much about him as the general, but the skills that he learned and took as a general when he became president and dealing with the USSR and keeping us from going to war because of his relationship. Apparently, it was a good relationship with the a respectable relationship, you know, guarded, but they could talk. Um, and he kept talking with the leaders of the USSR that kept us at peace, guarded peace, but peace for that prosperity in the 50s that you were talking about. But it's amazing how the leadership was. He didn't stop talking. He wasn't, you know, that quiet leadership is absolutely amazing that we are missing today at the national level. Well, going back to Eisenhower, perhaps even more important is that he kept a strong relationship with Churchill, who was a very strong-willed, very intelligent man, and then also de Gaulle, likewise, an independent thinker. And that came back to really work well during some of the issues that they had you know, through the 50s. So I think that goes back to, to leadership. And if you look, going back to you know, bringing this back to the construction industry, some of the companies that you know, are headquartered here in Georgia or have come here all of a sudden, you look around, they're not just doing $200 million a year, they're doing $2 billion a year, and what the success they've had, but they have these cultures of discipline, and really just a culture of teamwork, and just really a culture of integrity. I think they've pulled that all together, and those are the companies that have really been successful. Um, so, looking ahead, um, what, what are your long-term goals um, and aspirations for in, in public service? Do you 
Is there anything that you want to reveal? I'm looking, I'm are you looking literally, for a scoop. Are you literally asking him what his next plans are? I'm just long-term goals is what I believe I just asked. Okay. And aspirations. All right, fair enough. I, don't, I didn't ask for concrete plans. This could, be, this could be guaranteed. <laughs> good good use you. of words. Pun. You yes. got it. Thank you. All right, go ahead. I've worked on this. There was some pre, pre-work done, Neil. No, that was good. Go ahead. Well, we have a lot on our plate right now getting ready for 2024 elections. That's a big year for us. We expect a big turnout. So we just kind of look at it one day at a time. One step at a time. Thanks. I was hoping for yeah. some scoop. Yeah. I didn't no, get any scoop, no scoop at all. I, just, I tried, Neil. No, no, I appreciate I tried. it. <laughs> uh, can you look back and um, – because I'm always intrigued by this. We always learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. Is there one mistake that you made in business, not even politics, but I'm just talking about, oh, you can be politics if you want it to be. But one mistake that you made that you're actually glad you made it because you learned a lot from that mistake. Is there something that comes to mind? Well, I wish I would have hired my son Kyle sooner because <laughs> uh, he just turned out to be uh, you know, a tremendous asset to the company. Uh, that was you know one thing. If he would have come on board you know, a few years sooner, maybe I would have been you know, that much farther ahead. Uh, well, but, where did but, he come from? What was he doing? Uh, well, he came out during the recession depression we had. And let's keep it real here. The construction industry wasn't a recession depression. It was working for an AE firm that really downsized tremendously just mm-hmm. because of where it was. And so we were looking at, you know, growing a, a, a division. And I asked if he had an interest in that. He had about three different ideas and he joined us. And I'm glad he did. But uh, then we just started base building and continued that growth. So I'm just really grateful for that. You know, the, and the, the challenge that you have in, you know, the construction industry is you never know what the next day will bring or the next year. It is a cyclical business. So I think the most important thing is to make sure you're, you're prepared for anything that could happen. Because the recession, uh, really the, the strand shortage that we had around 2003 to 2004, and I wrote about it in my book, Integrity Counts, is it really set us back, you know, on our heels. But that really then positioned us that when we came into the recession of 2009 to 12, uh, we had actually had legacy debt, and we came out of that debt-free because we had just, you know, really tightened up and really were just focused in on what can we be the very, very best at, and that's what we did. We didn't look at all these other extraneous ideas. What could we be the best at? And those were tough years uh, for many people in the construction industry. And we ended up surviving and actually prospering through those tough years. I think that was really the, the tough times before that really teed me up to actually be able to get through that. So you had struggles um, business-wise earlier than 09, 08. Yeah. You had struggles back in 03, 04, yeah. which you learned from, which helped you get through the 08 through yeah. 10 uh, downturn. Yeah, and a lot of people didn't get through that tough time. And so we just continued to, you know, build, build, build. And, you know, then we went back and we hired a fellow down in Miami that used to work for us. And uh, he was looking for a job and we were looking for an opportunity and it came together. And uh, that office that we have down in Miami has just, you know, done very well over the years, just as that whole, you know, Southeast Florida region has done well over the years. You know, the whole Southeast is just one entire boomtown. It's, you look at what has going on in Atlanta, Savannah, and these other, you know, metropolitan areas are just really, really strong. And, and what do you attribute that to? Is it, uh, well, I'll ask you, I have my theories, but go ahead. What do you attribute to the Southeast doing so well over the last couple of decades? Uh, by and large, they have really good local governance at the state level. 
the, the, the all the governments that we have, the state governments, are really you know look trying to set up an environment to attract businesses or entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs to move there or businesses to relocate or expand into their states. And Georgia, obviously, if you look just on a map, we are you know the, the keystone state of the southeast. We're that you know that that one state you know that is right at the hinge point. And when you're here in Georgia, you can go any di- different direction. So we're ideally located now the Savannah port. And what really the Georgia Ports Authority has has done down there is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it, yes, it's a government agency, but it's run like a free market, you know, uh, free enterprise in an industry. It's just really, really well run. Uh, that port can turn around freight so quickly that you can actually ship a product from from Chicago and ship it down from Chicago to Long Beach or, or to Savannah. And our ship will actually get to China faster than it will from Long Beach, just because of the efficiency that we have in the system. They've done the test on that, which is phenomenal. And then we obviously, you know, our, our state government made the issue. We couldn't wait on Washington to get its act together to help fund the deepening of the port. So Governor Nathan Deal said, you know, folks, I need you to approve this in the General Assembly. We voted to, impr- uh, to approve that. And so the funds were put in place so that we could start deepening the port. Eventually, the feds finally sent the money. But meanwhile, we were moving ahead with or without the feds. So that's the kind of leadership we've seen. And the port of Savannah has been huge, not just for Savannah, but for the entire state of Georgia. It's really a national treasure. You know, it's amazing. I was actually down that way. And I hadn't been in a couple months. But it's amazing how quickly things are being built down that way as well. I was actually down in near Brunswick mm-hmm. in that port and how big that port is mm-hmm. getting um, compared to what it was even just a few years ago. It is going back to Mark, what you're saying, even 12 years ago, you've been here. That area, Southeast Georgia is booming because of the two ports. Yeah. And it, it's a true partnership of really the government business leadership coming together. And it's just really creating great careers for everyone in that region. Uh, from the standpoint, though, uh, you talk about entrepreneurial. Uh, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? I'm just wondering. Do you do you put yourself in that category? I like you know starting businesses. Yes, and uh, if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be starting another business. Tell me about the the character trait of of that you have that allows you the freedom mentally. Mark, you give me a look. You didn't know where no, I was going. No, I, I'm kind of agreeing with what you're saying. Yeah. What's that character trait that gives you that freedom to make the decisions? I'm going to start a business, or if I wasn't doing this, I'd start another business. Like that's what fascinates me about entrepreneurs. But what is that trait that you have that, admittedly, I don't have? I wish I had. I don't have it. But what do you, what is it? Oh, and other than your wonderful wife, because we know that's a key key foundation. Um, great support network. Absolutely. I think the challenge, excitement. Every day is a new day. And so you're looking at how do you build things. America, you got to think, you know, your great parent, your great grandparents, whenever they came over here, most people came over here with nothing. And when they came over here with nothing, it was just about hard work. And they had this, you know, big positive vision. They say, well, you know, you know we're going to cut down some trees, you know, start planting some crops and just see where it takes us. But it's, we were very aspirational, very positive. Uh, who would come here otherwise? And and so I think that's really, it's in our founding documents. Look at the Declaration and look at, you know, our Constitution. We have the rule of law, but it's also, you know, really it's cast a grand vision about what we're going to be as a nation, what we're going to be as a people. And so I think it's just a very positive, optimistic outlook. 
Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, it is refreshing that we have. And again, going back to the construction community, it's absolutely amazing how over the last few decades, at least I think from an educational standpoint, we've tamped down on construction. But it's really the construction guys and gals that are just absolutely amazing because they, you go become a plumber or an electrician, which we need desperate need of, of course, which is a whole other topic we talk about for hours. Um, but then you go and you you learn the trade, you learn to become a good plumber. You eventually start your own business and you become that entrepreneur that, again, I, I'd love to see. Um, let me ask you this. Um, what is one thing about yourself that people would be surprised by? One nugget, one fact. I probably already mentioned it. Most people don't realize that Trisha and I have been together since high school. High school. Yeah. And, you know, Trisha is you know, a private person and, uh, you know, I just, you know, bring her out when, when I know it's, I, I need you for this or need it for that. But, um, you know, we, we went to an event recently and, you know, when I'm with her, it's, I feel like I'm with the princess and I know she's been my wife for several years, but I think, uh, you know, like you just said, you know, having that special person, you know, your spouse with you. A good, solid, you know, marriage is is probably one of the best blessings you could ever have in this life. Absolutely, hundred percent agree. It's really, it's actually really lovely to hear you talk about your wife this way. Kind of all through, all through the interview, it's kind of been like a, a recurring theme in it. Especially, you know, you've been married for a, for a minute. Yes, um, been married for a minute, and and still, the you know that that love and devotion is really clear um, to hear, and it's it's. Like I said, it's, it's really lovely to um, see the, the loveliness from the English person. I say lovely a lot. I'm sorry. I can't understand a lot what you're saying. Sorry, West Ten- I'm from West Tennessee. Near I I'll, sw- I'll stop faking this accent and we'll, we'll go back <laughs> to normal. <laughs> uh, what, 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 you know, as a public official, what's the one fear that you have for the, for the folks of Georgia or, or just nationally? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? Policies that we've had for many, many years have just really helped Georgia become what she's become. It's just a great state. And that goes back to probably somewhere in the 50s or 60s, uh, the business leadership you know, and the, the city fathers and the state leadership you know, said, we're going to work together in a partnership. You, know, you run your businesses, but we want to make sure we, we can help you. So make sure we have an educated workforce. Uh, make sure we have solid schools and we have careers for people. And you know, just everyone was working together. And so I think that's having people working together is really important. And I think the biggest concern that you could have right now is we need to make sure that really that the people in Washington, D.C. understand that we all have to work together. You know, we are the United States. And then the, the most important one is the united part is that we can have our different viewpoints, but together, you know, we're Americans. And so we have to really look at, you know, the whole and make sure that every part of our country feels like they have a stake in that. And every part of America feels like they have opportunity. doesn't mean you're going to get guaranteed outcomes. Look at what, you know, say people like Steve Jobs, what they've done. I get that. And I just, God bless them, you know, and people that have done that. But everyone had that same opportunity. 
And we want everyone to have that same opportunity and the same educational levels. But also, everyone has different dreams, and whatever that is. I'm more of an engineer, but other people are creative. My wife is very creative. That's not me. And so it's okay. Uh, it all goes together in that big, you know, you know, America pie that we have. And, you know, there's, it's, uh, you just don't know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. Uh, <laughs> but right. it all, it all kind of works together because we all have our unique advantages, our, our unique interest. But as long as we, you know, keep the big thing that, uh, you know, really the rule of law, that this is a nation founded, that you can be whatever you want to be. And make sure that we have great education systems to prepare, you know, our children for the next, you know, challenges and opportunities they're going to see in their generation. And the, the the America Pie is something that I quite like. That analogy, that's pretty awesome. I've not heard that one before. There you go. You learn something every I day here, Mark. Something new. I'm learning a lot today. Yes. It's awesome. And so um, we've talked quite a lot about. Um, You've mentioned integrity and we talked about courage and they are two words that I, you know, when, when I hear your name, that's exactly what I, you know, that's what I think. And so I just wanted to ask you, um, your decision to stand your ground in the face of immense pressure, um, was incredibly courageous in, in my opinion and many people's opinions. Um, and mine and Neil's Neil wants to get that, get in there. Um, but can you share kind of how your values and principles guided you during that time um, and what advice you might offer to others that find themselves in a similar position? I think all of us, as we go through life, uh, you know, a lot of the rough spots, you know, get worn off. And hopefully you've had great parents and, and mentorship. And you know, some people do come from broken homes, but there will be opportunities for mentorship. Where people, you're going to find someone that you really respect, and you know that they're, they they set themselves apart, and that's a good thing. My my dad really, you know, uh, he played sports, and so as, as a boy, I looked up to my dad. But also, he he was a guy that, you know, he was a straight and you know narrow kind of guy. Like you you do what's right, you work hard, and I think that's that World War II generation. But then also, I was just fortunate. I had some you know, great you know, mentors in business. Some of my first boss, my first boss coming out of you know, uh, college, he came out of, uh, I think he went to Annapolis. And so you know, he had, had that military background, but he just had a great personality. He's the kind of guy you, you, you jump on a hand grenade for. You know, just one of those guys that he just gung-ho. And so it was a blessing to, to have him for the nine months before I got transferred. But uh, I always remember that, that leadership I think it's the people that you surround yourself with. I think the books you read. Um, and I think you got to lean into something that, that you know, is going to, you know, stand the test of time. So as a Christian, I, I stand, I, I lean into my faith in Christ. But, you know, other people come with different faith structures. But I, I think you got to decide what are your things that you won't negotiate with. And, and mine was we're going to follow the law and we're going to follow the numbers. And so we follow the numbers. And the numbers just came up with that there weren't 10,000 dead people, that we found four. Uh, we, there weren't 66,000 underage voters. There were zero. There weren't 2,400 non-registered voters. There were zero. There weren't thousands of felons. There's less than 74. Nothing happened in State Farm Arena, but people still think something did. But finally, we looked at it. Our post-certified investigators looked at it. GBI looked at it. 
the FBI looked at it and said, well, you can't trust the FBI. And everyone chuckles over that one, which is a sad commentary in itself. But President Trump handpicked the U.S. attorney, the new U.S. attorney, to look into it, Bobby Christine, and he couldn't find anything. I just saw him at the renaming of Fort Gordon to Fort Eisenhower last Friday, and he says, he was telling a, a guy, and I was standing beside, he says, oh, yeah, I was looking hard. And he just said uh, there was just nothing there. And so, but uh, the state election board finally, after two years, said, we've looked at it too. There's nothing here. But it was one of the urban legends, and what that really, as an aside, what that does is really tears apart our social fabric. And people in elected office your job is not to tear apart social fabric. Your job is to build. Contractors build. Anyone can tear down a building. In fact, there's contractors that specialize in that. And, but even that takes a lot of skill to do that. Do it, and it's very tailored on how they do that. But our job is to build. And America's job is to build. Out of nothing, we built this nation. A farmer's job is to grow which is a, a way of building and to be very productive of what they do. And I think that's what we're called to do is to build something. I think even the business we have, even if it's a service business, your job is to build. You're building a relationship. If Say you're selling you know, auto insurance, home insurance, or something like that. But your job is to help someone. And so what you're doing is you're building something in for their financial future. But it's always about a positive element. And so people have these destructive tendencies that tear people apart. It's not helpful for society. So whenever I can, I want to make sure that we are building. And we do that really with facts. We do that with the truth. But I also think that we should do that with our gentle voice. Because some of those are hard truths. You have to understand, I don't tell you as Secretary of State who I voted for, but I think you should understand that I was one of the earliest people to support President Trump when he ran. Some people on the other side of the aisle said, how could you? I understand. Please don't judge me, but I did. And that's how I am. I'm a conservative. And you're on the other side. Most of my friends in the construction business are on my side of the aisle. I've been in the job sites. Uh, but in 2020, I voted for them. But my job was to give people on our side, my party, the truth, but to do it as, as gently as I could because it was really a bitter pill to take. But we just gave them the facts, and we just calmly kept on giving that to them. And eventually, they started understanding it. The sooner that Republicans understand that President Trump came up short, the sooner they can be doing the hard work of rebuilding the party so it has a positive, aspirational, attractive message to attract people to the party so we continue to grow. Because I believe that in the conservative principles of the Republican Party, I believe in the party of Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt and Teddy Roosevelt, uh, Eisenhower, Reagan. Those are great values, and we can continue to build on those when we really you know, work at being positive and building like a good contractor would. I think we just ended there. Yeah. I think we're done. I, yeah, I have, we have one last question. I have a lot of questions, but I'm <laughs> going to end it there. But we have one last question for you. Um, who would you pl- who would you have play you in a movie? We ask everybody this question. I, I, in fairness, it may happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to know. Yes. Who do you want to play you in a movie? Well, uh, I think that's silly. I don't think there's going to be a movie. But who would you have? Anybody? Who would you have? We ask everyone. Well, that's good. 
I haven't really thought about that one, but uh, my focus is really serving the people of Georgia and the job I've got right now. Um, and I think that'll be plenty to keep me busy. Fair enough. Thank you so much. Yeah. This was an awesome interview. Thank you so it. much. It's been an honor. Building Leaders Radio Hour is sponsored by Associated Builders and Contractors of Georgia. ABC of Georgia is a network of companies and professionals within the develop, build, design industry that is committed to connecting the disciplines of construction to benefit the industry, the economy, and employment in Georgia.